0: All right, folks, we got another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. The playoffs keep rolling along and teams keep getting eliminated. And so we're continuing the playoff postmortem series. And we've got Hayden Soboleski, senior writer from dauberprospects.com and co-creator of the McDavid for Picks model slash website where you can make up your fake trades and input them into the model and see what they spit out. And I'm just realizing now I should have input some of the fake trades that I may or may not bring up on this podcast into that so that we could have used that model. But uh, Hayden, I'm getting (laughs) ahead of myself here. Welcome to the pod.
1: Nice to be here. Thanks.
0: So you cover the Colorado Avalanche and they were unfortunately undone by just an obscene series of injuries in these playoffs, most notably to both of their goaltenders. So they're, they're, they're yeah. left with Michael Hutchison in goal. And, for, and he, he proved quite valiant and the team proved quite valiant in, uh, in winning a couple of games with them. But ultimately they were undone. Uh, just initial shock of them getting eliminated. What, uh, what did you think about this season for the Avalanche?
1: Well, I mean, the season as a whole—it's hard not to be happy with it and impressed by it. They had like it finished in the top four, obviously, and got that first-round bye into the round robin. All oh, well. Almost all of their major players missed times with injuries, uh, and I think that's a big reason why Bednar finished fifth or sixth today in the Adams Trophy voting. So I, it's just. They had a great season. I think everyone was really optimistic going into the playoffs. And like you said, it was a bit heartbreaking to see the injuries that had plagued them all season. Just when you thought everyone was healthy, this is finally their chance to make a healthy run. But then it turned out the same thing that happened during the season happened during the playoffs. And yeah, it was tough. It almost would have been less heartbreaking if they had just lost and like straight games to Dallas after their both goalies went down. But because Hutchinson made such a nice little run there, it got, got your hopes up, got you really wishing. So when it got to game seven overtime, everyone knew it was possible. And I think that made it a little more heartbreaking.
0: Was that a Hutchinson run or was it just the team absolutely clamped down like the, uh, the David Ayers corollary? Oh, no, we've got problems in net.
1: Let's, uh, we can't allow any good shots. Uh, I mean, we can call it a a little bit of A and a little bit of B, I'd say. He did let in a few softies over that run, but the team was built with enough depth to outscore the opponent in the case that that kind of thing happened. So the fact that Hutchinson did pretty much as well as he could have been expected to in that situation and the team managed to squeeze out those Game 5 and Game 6 wins, uh, that definitely... For me anyways made it a little more painful losing that game seven.
0: You you don't want to get get too close to the sun situation, right? Like you
1: <laughs> I just you... don't like my hopes getting up that much. It's it's too dangerous getting me positive and like excited when you know deep down that if you have Michael Hutchinson in that, chances are this is gonna happen. Right. And that's and... not his fault. And
0: hockey fans are so pessimistic by nature that it just kind of, (laughs) kind of just building yourself up like that can uh, it can it can really lead to quite the downfall. I wonder, with all those injuries that took place during the season, do you think that with a team that was so capable of winning, they had all the pieces you need to be a championship contender? Do you think that
1: Joe Sackett pushed enough buttons this season? I think so. Uh, It's really hard to say when it comes to injuries because just because of the volume of them, because they had the depth to deal with a couple of them. They survived a little bit when Calvert went out and they survived a little bit when Johnson went out. Like they definitely looked worse when those kind of injuries happened. But all of a sudden, Burakovsky went on a tear. And when he was filling in for Landeskog, when he got bumped down from the first line. And uh, it. when Logan O'Connor got subbed into the lineup, he wasn't playing many minutes. But in those minutes that he had to step in and play, he looked very good. So I think they had enough depth, and I wouldn't put that on Joe Sakic. Really, I think it really just goes to show the amount of depth you need just just in case this kind of shit happens. I mean, right now Braden Shen is playing for Tampa Bay and looking pretty good. So I think. If anything Even Luke Shen. If, yeah, sorry, Luke Shen. <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm a Leafs fan. I, I know the Shens. Um, but uh, just sometimes you just have to spend on those extra couple players. And I mean having Timmins and Connaughton there to sub in, like they were fine. Uh like they, that wasn't gonna be the difference between winning and losing a series, really, but I don't think I can really blame Joe Sackick for too much at this point. He put together a hell of a team that managed to keep rolling when injuries hit both in the regular season and the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I don't think the fans would be complaining about him too much or should be. Yeah, I was playing devil's
0: advocate with that question a little bit just Mm because, like, you can't really injury proof yourselves against losing both of your goalies. We saw. Dallas, they were injury-proof against one injury, but not two in goal. And certainly, if there's any lesson to be learned from these playoffs, one of them is that you need multiple goalies. And is Columbus Absolutely. the only team in the league that could sustain multiple injuries in goal and still be able to roll out a, <laughs> a capable netminder? They've got an absolute factory there. Mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, is Eustace and Noonan? He he wasn't available. For these playoffs, and probably wouldn't have been put into the lineup anyway, had he been available um, with the I... with the dumb signing rules. But <laughs> he's probably going to be available going forward, right? So I, I wonder if now that he's in the system, do you think they're goalie proof with him?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I do think Anunin is like a good candidate to be their goalie of the future but I think in that situation I think they might be regretting not having Adam Werner who was their AHL goalie this year uh, ready to go as maybe a fourth option they had recalled another kind of career AHLer or goalie Miska to be their fourth goalie in the case that they had to pull Hutchinson in any of those games but they have a Another good goalie prospect, Werner, who had a pretty strong AHL season, had some ups and downs, but because of Inunin's, like outstanding season over in Finland, this Werner's getting a little bit overshadowed. He had some really good seasons in Sweden and then came over, turned pro, and played in the AHL this year, and he did really well. So I think they are going to have a little bit more depth going forward just because they'll have that kind of potential goalie of the future option to play and call up and have a positive spin on it rather than like a career AHLer that had just blown it with the Leafs but I feel like that's still being too negative because Hutchinson really didn't he let in a couple softies but he was still he was he was fine. See, okay, but those yeah.
0: Werner insights, that's why we bring the prospect guy on the <laughs> podcast, cause I don't even know who that is, but now he's on my radar. This is fantastic. Um, just just adding to the the flip side of my question of did Joe Sakic do enough? He basically gave them two lines worth of forwards between what he did in the <laughs> off season. And adding <laughs> Nemesnikov at the deadline. Like literally, Kadri, Burakovsky, Belmare, Natushkin, Donskoy, and then Nemesnikov at the deadline. And none of it cost them a first round pick. So you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning and they're rolling into the into the conference finals with a third line comprised of two guys that they spent three first round picks on and the avalanche did the same thing with their third line, but they did it at much less of a price. So I wonder if that's just not, he didn't do a fantastic job taking advantage of that flexibility and they were injury proof to everything, but both their goalies going down.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And you made a good point. Like they, he's had a lot of good value moves, like bringing in Donskoy and, uh, the cadre was obviously a huge move that paid off in spades for them. Really gave them that center depth that put them into another level. And yeah, like you really can't argue with too many of the signings, especially at the cost. Like one of the best things Sakic has done in the last couple of years is even the signings that had a little bit of hesitation from some fans at the time. You just can't argue it with the cost and the term. Like he. He doesn't seem to overpay. He doesn't seem to overcommit to the guys that he focuses in on, and it at the end, it puts them in a really flexible situation to keep adding guys like Nemesnikov at the deadline without having to worry about salary implications or long-term implications.
0: Yeah, and you don't think that, say, going out and giving up a a first rounder and getting someone a little bit more dynamic instead of Nemesnikov wouldn't have been the better play for this team.
1: I mean, they were scoring the lights out in hindsight, hindsight 2020, if they had gotten maybe another minute muncher defenseman that could fill in Eric Johnson's role when he got knocked out without needing any, Real offensive talent, but just one of those guys that can log the heavy minutes and just fill time, like that kind of defenseman would have been a good ad, I suppose. But again, hindsight's 2020 20, and uh, honestly I thought a lot of the well, actually now that you mention it, Calvert went down in the playoffs too. So I guess having a Goodrow type or a Coleman type, which to fill in that role would have been nice, but again. This is all 2020 hindsight, and this this year Calvert and Johnson got hurt. Maybe next year it's – like if they'd gone any further, Landeskog would have been hurt, and that would have been an entirely different conversation because now you're thinking, oh, why didn't they bring in some top six talent help with that first-round pick in their cap space? They could have done something big there. Like it's, it's easy to look back on things in hindsight, but at the end of the day they had an outstanding season for most – most of their team, everyone did their part. They looked like a really well-rounded group. And they, they had really good, like, Vegas odds going into the playoffs. Like, I think I, I put a bet on them at 7-1, to one, I think it was, after the first round. They were, they were given a good, good odds for a reason.
0: You mentioned Landis and potentially having to play without him. He's only got a year left on his cheap second contract. Are they bringing the captain back? Is he getting an extension
1: or is this a scenario where we might have to face a a future without him? I don't have any insider knowledge. I'm not like in the dressing room or anything like that, but I can't imagine Landy leaving Uh, one because he's just such a key part of the team and, the Colorado Avalanche are a really tight-knit team. You can tell anytime they're on video or through their social media or any of their interviews, like, they really get along and they're a really, like, good group of guys and they're happy with each other. So, like, both from a personnel point of view and from the point of view that they have the money. Uh, so there's no, there's no reason I, I don't expect there to be any drama there
0: how big is his number going to be on the next contract do you figure
1: uh i would guess he probably fits in like maybe seven seven and a half kind of that anders lee type deal mm,
0: yeah I, I i can mess around with that kind of money okay um so they've got maybe one more season of having this massive flexibility before landis Cox's deal runs out and he maybe you know you add another couple million to his price tag and god only knows how much kale mccarr is going to get on his (laughs) next deal and he's only got a year left on his entry level deal. so how does joe sakic now push the right buttons this summer with the
1: flexibility that he has yeah well that's that's the biggest question this is the one that you can talk all day about because We talk about like how well Joe Sackick has done at managing the cap and not overcommitting to guys and not seriously overpaying anyone too drastically. And it comes down to what you do with the space you create. So like the Avalanche have, I'm sorry, I have cap friendly open right now, 22 million in cap space next year. I mean, they have nine, nine guys to sign with that money, but that's a ton of room and that's all with most of their main guys on deals so in my opinion like the biggest question for the abs this offseason is what's what are they planning on doing with their money and can they do it fast enough to kind of get their choice of everyone else because they have luckily most of their key players that whose contracts are up right now are all rfas so they kind of have them under control so that's going to give them the chance to maybe mess around in the free agent market, see if they can land a big fish like that Taylor Hall that everyone keeps uh, daydreaming about, maybe joining on a cup chaser deal. Um, But they have a lot of guys, Birkovsky's an RFA that after that great season and a really hot playoff run, scoring when they really needed him to, like he's earned a good contract out of that. Nachuskin had a great Year on a value deal, kind of a prove it deal, and he's proven it. Now he's going to want a little more security. Ryan Graves is an RFA right now after stepping from the AHL into a regular role. So like, and then that's not even mentioning like Tyson Jost and the UFAs and Mesnikov and Nieto. Uh, so they have a lot of decisions to make, but I have to imagine. Just because most of those are RFA that they can take their time with, the first thing we're going to see and that we're going to have to wait for is whether or not they take a swing at one of those big free agents.
0: Is that Joe Sackick's style, though? I feel like he's going to want to have all his ducks in a row before he even considers making a plunge on adding another piece to that group. He's going to want to make sure he's he's got the salary in, in tow and he doesn't have to make a short-term type decision with one of those RFAs and pinch them on a deal when he could get them on a value deal long-term. It's true. Like that's
1: always the, the risk you play. But I mean, when your window is as wide open as Colorado's is right now, and you're in the rare situation where you have the flexibility and the money to make a big play like that, it's just hard not to imagine it being taken seriously because it's hard not to look at the lineup and be like with the guys that they already have under control and under contract. Like even if you forget all of the RFAs and UFAs, like they have a really good group of guys already figured out and already under contract. So if you have, I I totally agree with what you're saying on, you don't want to sacrifice missing out on, a good deal with some of your the guys you already have in house but when you have the opportunity that Colorado does right now they have to at least consider it
0: right I mean I think everyone's kind of picturing this Kevin Durant to the Warriors type situation with the Colorado Avalanche and the cap space that they have and wouldn't it be great if they could go out and land one of this summer's big free agents but I think most of this summer's big free agents have have already come out and said, "No, I'm I'm looking for term," mm-hmm. so they're they're going to be asking six, seven, eight years, I guess eight if they're re-signing with uh, before whenever free agency starts, and that doesn't seem like the no. type of move that the Avalanche are going to do and bog down their books. N- never mind the fact that unrestricted free agency is basically. The boulevard of broken dreams, unless you're signing Hosa or Zedane chara you're making these massive long-term mistakes. Yeah,
1: no, I, I totally agree They're If they go out swinging for big fish and free agency, it's going to be on shorter term money. They, I agree with you there. They're not going to do anything that would sacrifice any flexibility w- with Macar down the road or that kind of thing.
0: So if they're not going unrestricted free agency is now the time to maybe push some picks into play because I've been, I've been thinking about how the 2021 NHL draft is going to be the most erratic draft ever because half of these prospects aren't even going to have played. So everyone's going to be racking their brain and trying to watch really, really old video from when these players are like 15, 16 and no one's going to have any idea who's good, who's not. And Having the twenty-fifth pick in that draft may not even be that valuable, so it's now the time to put that pick in play.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. Obviously, you don't want to sacrifice your system too much, but when your window's open, like those are those are your assets, and you want to build as deep as a team as possible. Like everyone was pretty shocked when Tampa was paying all those first-round picks for third-line guys. They're they're in the like conference finals of the playoffs right now and look really good and if they win a Stanley Cup this year that, that will be worth it when your window is this open i that's when that's what you're saving these assets for in my opinion
0: and there's also a chance that whomever they trade for would be impacting not just this coming season, but for seasons to come. Right? That's kind of the idea. Yeah, exactly. We want to we want to build this thing up long term. So that's that's kind of how Colorado crushed the Andre Burakovsky deal. Right? They they only ended up having to give up what a second rounder for him, and, second and a third, I think. Yeah. Okay, and that's that's yep. a reasonable cost for a guy who gave you a cheap deal when you could afford it, and he's still an RFA. So you have a little bit of flexibility and and can take advantage of the, of the best seasons that he has to offer while someone else took the time of, uh, of living through his developmental years. Mm -hmm. So there, there are a bunch of RFAs out there that could potentially be exploited. We know the Islanders and Lightning have these massive cap crunches and they've, they've got some RFAs ready to be exploited, but there are some other ones that are sitting out on the TSN trade bait board and I'm wondering if we can run down some of those and and if any of them pique your
1: interest. (laughs) Sure. I can't say I uh, prepared for the RFA watch but yeah let's do it. Well so
0: Max Domi is heavily rumored to be available. uh, He's been struggling to come to terms with the Montreal Canadiens. With his, uh, he's an RFA right now. So that's uh, a potential option. Josh Anderson has famously got crunched on his second deal by the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he basically missed an entire season. So not only is this a situation where maybe you could get him a little bit cheaper on the cap, but also you might get him a little bit cheaper in a trade if Columbus decides, okay, now it's it's time for the change of scenery. Uh, Vince Dunn. (laughs) is probably getting priced out of St. Louis.
1: Out of those names you just said, I do. I think Anderson's the most likely. Just because I think they're more likely to spend that money on Burakovsky than Domi if they're after some secondary scoring. I think they go with the guy that they already have in-house, This the known asset. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with adding more if they get all their RFAs done and have some spending money left over. Uh, I do think Anderson just kind of gives them that extra playoff edge. There were a few games where they kind of got outmuscled a little bit. Made like the first Dallas game, they it just they showed up, and or well, more accurately, they they looked like they didn't show up. And sometimes having guys like that can turn the tide in those kinds of games. So I think that one's, that one's not out of the realm of possibility for sure.
0: It's so funny coming out of these playoffs and every single person's reaction is we need more muscle. We need more muscle. And it (laughs) just, the, the game, it really does just change. There's those, there's those 82 game players that you, you need to, to get you into the playoffs. And then there's the players that you need once you're in the playoffs and Sometimes those are very different players, and I think we see it all the time from the teams that overachieve a little bit come playoff time as they've got the roster for it. And this year's playoff being one where you you let twenty four teams get in there, it uh, it opened the the doors a little bit more for teams that otherwise wouldn't have had the juice to make the playoffs. Absolutely. Um, there's also just, some players on uh, on one year deals that are kind of intriguing. Kyle Palmieri stands out as someone who he yeah, could add one. he could add that dynamic and and some one-shot ability and he's got one year left on his uh his reasonable deal and and maybe now it's time for New Jersey to move on there if they're not going to commit to him long term although maybe you get him even cheaper at the deadline and and that's
1: uh that's the way you go about that Ryan I can see Palmieri being like one of the most sought-after guys. If he lasts until the deadline, I imagine he's going to be at the top of the wish list for everyone. Like he's just—he's a great goal scorer, and that's exactly what teams look for for playoff depth. I agree that would be a good target for Colorado, but pretty much any team who doesn't need a Kyle Palmieri on their team.
0: Yeah, I think I think every team needs needs that kind of guy. Ryan is another one who stands out. He's had some impact playoff performances, or, or maybe not as impactful playoff performances for the uh, the last couple of teams that he's gone to. But certainly, he can provide some additional scoring, and he might be intriguing with uh, with one year left on his deal.
1: Yeah, I could see that being a uh, like a deadline move. So one thing, because we talked about the injury troubles of Colorado earlier, that almost so that almost makes it tempting to wait as close as you can till the deadline to see what everyone's state of health is. Not that people's health at the deadline is necessarily gonna be how healthy they are in the playoffs, but at least by then you know if anyone's gonna be out for the year or out for a couple of rounds. And you can really decide what spots in your lineup you have to target most. And I, I could see Colorado doing that waiting till the deadline and kind of reevaluating just because their injury history has not been pretty for the last couple years.
0: You mentioned previously the potential to or or the value of adding one of those minute munching type defensive defensemen. Could I interest you in overpaying for the last season of Adam Larson?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that depends on uh, Eric Johnson's health because I think EJ's still like a serviceable guy as long as you have Makar or Gerard or maybe next year Byram out there skating the puck. But yeah, Larson's one of those guys that can take tough minutes and once in a while you groan, but he uh, makes it hard for the other team. And if they don't go for one of those bigger name minute-munching defensemen, I could see them taking a swing at, like, an Andy Green or a Ron Hainsey type at the deadline. Just one of those guys to have and play in the third pair as a seventh defenseman just for when you need them.
0: Yeah, you never know. Andy Andy Green might uh, sail off into the sunset with uh, a Stanley Cup. Just, like, we're – so far, I've been plucking players off of the TSN trade bait board, but editorializing a little bit. <laughs> Philip Deneau has made some comments, expressing some doubt about his role in Montreal after he was passed by Nick Suzuki on the depth chart. Wouldn't he just be – you'd have to overpay, but he could just – that would be such a
1: value add for this team, I think. That would be. Uh, given his uh, notes about – needing more assurance in his role he'd probably need that in Colorado too because uh he's probably not playing center ahead of McKinnon or Kadri and he's sounds like he wants top six minutes so he can slot him in on the wing but all of a sudden he's uh competing with Birakovsky and Landeskog and Donskoy and Natchuskin like obviously he's he's a better player than Donskoy and Natchuskin but you just have to make sure he was happy with the fit before you commit to a move like that so you don't get this the same thought out of him next year and he's playing on the second line and he wanted to be on the first line or he's in, there, like the abs are trying to stack three lines rather than two and he's kind of powerhouse on the third. I, I don't know what they would try and do, but for a super serviceable guy that can play any role And kind of the downside is when these guys can play any role, sometimes you play them in a deeper role than they want to if they want to score some points.
0: Yeah, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're renting out this curmudgeon and you end up getting the opposite of what you thought. But don't you just think that he would land himself in Colorado with these expectations being way higher and seeing the players that are ahead of him on the depth chart and he would
1: just kind of fall in line? I hope so. Like, I think he would be a really good fit in as, like, the sixth member of the top six. So, obviously, Landis Kogmakin and Rantanen isn't going anywhere. You have Kadri. He's not going anywhere. And if they re-sign Birakovsky, he's staying in your top six. So, all of a sudden, you have a slot there, and Dino would look really good right there. So, there's some speculative
0: traits that uh, – or, or targets that they could use to – just up the ante for themselves. But ultimately there really is no making yourself completely injury proof. Like we saw it from Tampa Bay last year. They lose to Columbus because Victor Hedman is a shell of himself. And I don't know how you injury proof yourself against an injury to the best defenseman in
1: the league. Exactly.
0: We've touched on a bunch of my biggest questions for the avalanche. I'm wondering if you – have any big
1: questions that we haven't touched on so far? Well, I mean, you can go down the player list. Every one of them is a question. I think the biggest player questions most people have in the offseason is Jost and Because I think most people can look at Ryan Graves and how well he fit. And unless he's looking for really big money, which I can't imagine, I feel like he's a guy that they re-sign. Jurikovsky fit in so well. I have to imagine he's another guy they re-sign as long as he's not trying to, like, get a huge contract out of it. And even Natuskin, I'm kind of on the fence about him, but he was, he was a really good fit in the bottom six. So as long as he's okay taking bottom six money, which maybe that's a big if. I don't know exactly what he's looking for, but last year they signed home for for 3.5 million to be on their third line and they had signed kerfoot before the trade to toronto for 3.5 million to be on their third line and they were had a little bit more promise at the time than i would say nachuskin has right now so if they can get nachuskin in for 3 million or less like i think they consider that but jostin zadorov if you you just open up a an avalanche roster, and if you consider all of those trade targets and free agents that we just talked about, if they successfully land even one of those guys, maybe two, like they're a really deep team and they run us out of spots really fast. And he looked great in the playoffs. I do like Tyson Jones, but I could definitely see him being trade bait. Same with Zadorov; he was great in the playoffs when they needed him to be but right now he's making 3.2 million dollars with arbitration rights and i don't know if that's the kind of money you commit to a third pairing or on on Colorado anyways a third pairing defenseman so i think those are pretty big questions they're going to have to decide are they are they committing and hoping they can are they hoping Jost can become that third line force all year long rather than just the playoffs and do they think Zadorov can play more minutes without making mistakes? Uh, I'd say those are some of the big, big player personnel questions they have to figure out.
0: Well, you know, every defenseman restricted free agent who can skate and hold a stick at the same time gets <laughs> four million on a long-term deal, and I think it's becoming five million now. So,
1: not to mention guys as big as Zadorov.
0: Yeah, so prepare yourself to be paying guys like Graves and Zadorov in that type of range. Although I don't think that they'd necessarily commit that much uh, long-term to Zadorov if they're being really sensible about it.
1: No, I don't think so. I think Graves probably comes in at, if I had to guess, I'd say three and a half or less but maybe I'm being a bit optimistic on that but he's a slightly older player too he's not like a normal like young prospect that was in the in the minors and everyone knew he would be an a- nhler and now he's on a trending up for several years like he's 25 he was good in the ahl and he came up and he's serviceable and he's good in the nhl but he it's not like he has a ton of upside that they have to like commit to in order to know that they're going to get that like they know what they have in graves and I think that's why hopefully they can lock him in for a reasonable rate whereas the Dorov, he's he just has runs like he did in the playoffs where he's contributing a little bit of offense he's using his size pretty well without taking many stupid calls like you can see why he might be thinking there's untapped potential there and there there is untapped potential there and why other teams might be willing to spend a bit more money than Colorado will on him.
0: One of the things that we're hearing lots about with the players with Arbrights is that teams are really they're scared shitless of ending up with this huge award that they can't get mm-hmm. out of with the flat cap and money being so tight. Is he a candidate to just they just
1: let him walk. They don't even qualify him. I think so. Well, I if they were smart, they would know already whether or not he's in the plans and they'd be shopping him. Because I do think, like, at the very least, you have to get, like, a depth pick out of trading his rights to someone who is serious about signing him. Because there has – I'd imagine there are going to be suitors for Zidorov if he's headed towards not signing in Colorado. There will be – teams lining up to sign a big defender like that. So I would hope that if we don't see him signed before they have to commit to his before they have to like commit to his offer for, for arbitration that's they got to get some value out of it before it reaches that point. I don't think they can let him walk for nothing but it might happen.
0: Yeah, I mean the question is is there a market is there any team that wants to run the risk of Zadorov going to arbitration and then having to pay him 4 plus million and maybe then lose him as an unrestricted free agent after that.
1: It's it's definitely a risk but at the end of the day I don't think they can risk having to take whatever qualifying offer they have to make to Zadorov cuz it's going to be just higher than they can afford to commit to a third pairing defenseman for two years, sorry, I do have cap-friendly open. If they limit it to a one-year deal, like they might have money to spend. If they want to overpay him for one more year and use him the same way they did this year, then then maybe you can play that game about risking them accepting the qualifying offer. But I just think he's probably not at the top of their priority for how they want to risk spending their money. Right, because if
0: you do end up giving him luxury type payment to play on your third line, then that reduces the flexibility that you have to do other things. I'm wondering if they do move on from one or two of these, uh, these depth players, is there a scenario where more young players come up in the pipeline? Like Colorado is, is famously, they've got one of the, one of the strongest prospect pipelines, even after graduating
1: so much good talent. They definitely have a bit more to give. I do think Martin Cout makes the jump next year. I think he's going to be a full timer, but he'll be he'll be in the bottom six. He'll be either a third line or fourth line winger, but he's going to take a spot. And O'Connor, who jumped in in the playoffs this year, he was already like an option for them as a fourth line spot. And when they had injuries during the regular season, he was a he's been like a, a regular call up for them. And I think he's definitely earned a shot as that 13th forward so I mean with those two around it's hard to imagine they keep Matt Nieto I feel like he might have to walk just to make room for these kids just because O'Connor doesn't have a ton of upside and he's going to be a fourth liner and maybe a third liner and stay that way but Martin Kaut could work his way up the lineup a little bit so you got to start getting him that NHL time and on the blue line we saw a little bit of Connor Timmons in the playoffs and we'll probably see more of him next year. And Bowen Byram is kind of the biggest name on that list just because he's still NHL or WHL. He's in that he's too young to play in the AHL, even though right now everything's a little bit wonky because of the pandemic. Maybe they can work out a situation where he plays in a European league instead. But I have to imagine Byram's going to be playing a regular shift with the Avalanche next year and he's going to be ready for it so it's definitely not <laughs> like there's they have enough bodies to fill the seats and Barbero has already committed to playing in the Swiss League I think rumors are saying and it's hard to imagine Connaughton coming back unless he's okay playing in the AHL like he did this year and just coming up when there's injuries but yeah, There's going to be a few kids new faces on the block next year but mostly in depth roles. Like I said, Cowton O'Connor will be in the bottom six. Byram's not going to jump straight to the top pair in year one. As good of a prospect as he is, he's going to need a little bit. And Same with Timmons. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with if they have to kind of flip-flop Timmons between the NHL and AHL as he gets those pro games but it's not like they have to move out space in top six or top pairing roles to prepare for these new faces. So one
0: of the questions I've been doing to kind of wrap things up with folks that I've been asking, whether the team's window is open or closed, but I'm not going to bore anyone with a (laughs) pedantic question like that with, with the Colorado avalanche, their window is clearly open. And it's just a matter about seizing that opportunity because we've seen windows shut faster than possible. Like this run that the lightning on is rare. And I know that that's what they're trying to create here in Colorado. They'd like it to be a long run.
1: Give me your prediction. How long do you think this window stays open? Let me look at some player ages right now. McKinnon's 25. Rantanen's 23. Landy's 27. Hayden, Hayden, Hayden. don't know how young Kale McCarr is. Let's not get analytical with this. (laughs) Go with your heart. How <laughs> I, window how long is this window open? They got at least three more years of being competitive. At least. Because even when everyone's talking about the cap crunch that they're gonna inevitably face when both McKinnon and McCar are on their big deals, but by the time that happens, the only players right now that they've committed to, like the only players they have under contract that they have to worry about at, for these future McKinnon and and McCar deals are Miko Rantanen, who they have locked in at 9.25, and Sam Gerard, that they have locked in for five. Like, as long as they don't do anything stupid in the next two years, like, they're, yeah, those are going to be big ticket contracts that they're going to have to sign and it'll limit their flexibility a bit. But they haven't done anything so far to put them in any sort of trouble. They're, they're just going to be necessary expenses that they're going to be able to deal with. So I, I don't see any reason why their window would close from personnel or for salary reasons in the next three or four years.
0: Well that is both exciting and also unnerving as (laughs) a fan of a team that (laughs) would very much like to be getting past the Colorado Avalanche in the Western Conference.
1: Yeah it's definitely making me jealous because I'm like I'm a Toronto fan by by birth so writing for Colorado has definitely kind of made me a Colorado fan following these players up the pipeline and onto regular spots. And they're just such a fun team to watch, but now they're giving me a little bit of the jealousy that, man, they things are just lining up well for them.
0: Yeah. I, I got to say jealousy is a, is a poor color on most people and um, do, do your best to avoid it. You're, are you going to become one of those, writers who eventually you just you follow all these all these players and these prospects for so long you just eventually you aren't a fan of a team aren't yeah yeah you end up just you you shed all your allegiances
1: uh i don't know <laughs> my leaf fandom runs deep yeah uh, the thing with call like i mean maybe if they disappoint you enough you finally have to let them go no nah, if- I, I
0: think that goes the other way I think the more they disappoint you, the digger, the, the farther you dig in.
1: I could see it. I mean, there's a lot of Leaf fans that would definitely feel that way. But uh, I don't know. They're just such a fun team to watch on the ice, off the ice. They're just fun guys to follow. It's, it's, it's kind of a treat to be able to cover and watch this much Colorado Avalanche. As jealous as all the other teams should be, then – They should just shut up and enjoy the good hockey.
0: You know what I'm most jealous of about the Colorado Avalanche? What's that? It's that on their home telecast, or on their telecast in general, if you're watching the Colorado feed, whenever they're on the penalty kill, and then they kill off the penalty. (laughs) Super Mario? Super Mario power-up, baby.
1: Yeah, and they brought uh, that into the bubble, too. They were playing that during the playoffs when they were killing penalties. Like, hell yeah. yeah, social media on the ice, just players themselves, their interviews, their social media. Like, this is overall, from top to bottom, a fun team. And, uh, yeah, even the little things like that, it only adds. Yeah, honestly, it, it's a little
0: bit of a throwback. When I was really getting into hockey as a young lad, the Avalanche were... Like the it team. I, I still remember in grade school we're out there playing this was even before mini sticks, but we're out there playing kick hockey in uh in the playground and we're all pretending to be Colorado Avalanche players and no one picked any Florida Panthers players.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally the same. Me and my brother, my brother's a diehard Colorado fan. And the first NHL video game we had was NHL two thousand and one. And that was the year that like, I forget what the ratings were, but you had Sackic and Forsberg that were like 95s or 96s or something. And those old games were terrible, so you could make trades to and from like national teams. So we were just, and you could have duplicate players. So we would always end up doing these season modes, but our lines would just be three Sackics on the first line, three Forsbergs on the second line, three Yagers on the third line. Yeah. Colorado has always been there.
0: That is, uh, that sounds rather daunting to, to go up <laughs> against. Yeah, the computer didn't
1: stand a chance.
0: Yeah, question. If you've got three augers on the ice, is it even possible? Could anyone ever get the puck? Like if you had, if the other team was 20 Tigers and all the Tigers were allowed on the ice, would three augers still just keep the puck away from them the
1: whole time? I think so. But the important question is, can you go with three generations of Yager? Could you have rookie Yager on like the left wing and like 48 year old Yager on the right wing? And then another Yager in the middle and they could just be playing with each other. So you could have like ass, Like I say that nicely, like big ass Yager, just like getting the puck on the boards and not letting anyone touch it and then feeding it out to the other Yagers. This is the timeline I want to live in right now
0: yeah they, i i am completely supportive of the respect for yager's asking he he sh- <laughs> He absolutely warded people off with that thing i think it's the uh it's the insurmountable ass is yeah uh, is, is what he's rolling with i i just i think in this scenario if you are having three yagers from three different generations, then one make sure it's not the washington yager <laughs> yeah and two, make sure you don't get duped by any of the traveling yoggers, because I'm guessing they don't quite have the, uh, the ass game of the real thing.
1: <laughs> no, definitely need to double check that.
0: Hayden, we have gone off the rails. This is hilarious. This is fantastic. I don't know
1: what you're talking
0: about. What a fantastic way to end this podcast. Um, before we get out of here,
1: can you plug some stuff? I'd love to. So I'm a co-creator of mcdavidforpicks.ca. This is a stupid project me and a friend have been working on for a little while where, like you said, when you were introducing me, you can essentially just pick a couple of players and prospects and assets from a couple teams and propose a trade and hopefully get a nice realistic response. It's far from perfect. Like these things, Never are, but we're pretty happy with how it's progressing. It's getting a little bit better every day, and it's built on uh, kind of a model or an algorithm we're pretty proud of that gives value to things like cap space. Uh, so it's not just straight-up player value like you find in a EA Sports game, which is really what the team is used to used to working with, and our goal is just to improve on that. So there's just a couple extra factors at play that help make it more realistic. So we're, it's a work in progress, but it's getting better every day. So if you're bored and you your team gets knocked out and you want to trade everyone on the roster, uh, McDavid for on the internet and Twitter. Okay, but what if you want to trade everyone but McDavid? Uh, I can't remember. Is there anyone in Edmonton other than McDavid? <laughs> there's there's not there's not many other players. <laughs> I'm sorry, please don't
0: at me. <laughs> um, and th- th- that that's so cool. So is there like is there machine learning or AI at all involved in this? Like you you input some things and you figure out a trade that works, and then does the thing learn? Oh, these are scenarios that do work or that would be approved and then it it go it goes from there or is it all just based on your inputs
1: there isn't really a machine learning element to it at this point but there is a a bit of a matchmaking process in it um i have to check what version we have out right now but we there's an extra added feature to it in addition to things like uh the cap space itself having value in deals is evaluating a team's depth based on who you're proposing to trade away and who you're proposing to receive. There's analysis of what's that what that's doing to your depth chart versus every team wanting at least one first-line player, one second-line center, one third-line center, that kind of thing. So there's definitely a little bit of a matchmaking smarts in there that hopefully shows up that uh
0: that sounds like some brilliant nuance
1: ea hire us we're available
0: (laughs) i think uh i think we're going to use the hype off this podcast and hopefully people continue to check it out and it uh it builds a life of its own and uh maybe you'll be the the go-to place for everyone's fake trades and then um
1: you won't have to ask ea to hire you They'll, they'll come to you get in now while there's still lots of bugs and a few like really bad player errors once in a while so that you can say that you were there when we still made mistakes
0: hell yeah all right uh hayden you've been very generous with your time you've been you've entertained so much of my whimsy and i thank you for that um have a good one you too thanks for having me it was a pleasure All right, everyone, that is our show. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And stick tap to Hayden for coming on and helping us review what comes next for the exciting Colorado avalanche. Uh, Until next time, y'all have a good one.